Dave Lee around the world, and thank you for joining us once again on truth2u.org. That's truth2letteru.org. It's season two of Torah Pills. I'm Jono, and joining me in the virtual Truth To You studio all the way from Ireland is Jason of spiritualbabies.net. G'day, mate. I'm good. I want people to just uh, rewind that, because it sounded like I'm joining you from the vegetable um, what? studio. Is that what I said? It sounded like vegetable. <laughs> No, I said joining me from the virtual. Okay, fine. Joining me from the vegetable truth to you studio, Jason of Spiritual, because we're in a giant pumpkin. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Okay. And in Indonesia, it's the author of Let's Get Biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah? Volumes one and two. You can get a copy from his website, outreachjudaism.org. That's outreachjudaism.org. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tobias Singer. That's great. Nice roll of the R's. That was me playing the guitar before, just so everyone knows. <laughs> I I wrote that piece of music and I play it. I play it live actually. I'm sitting with a guitar, strumming it as we go in. We don't. I'm kidding. I I wish I could in my brain. I could play the air guitar, but I I can't. Great to be back. Do you know that's actually my sister playing playing this music? Really? It is Kate Plummer. Yes, she's very very talented. And if I remember correctly, this is an album entitled "The Left Over Sea." People can find it. Uh, do a little bit of a uh, bit of a search on Google because that album's still available. Oh. All right. So now, uh, where are we? We're in Pinchas. This is where we are. We left off uh, last week in what was it? Numbers chapter twenty-five, verse nine. We continue from verse ten, and we just have to remind everybody what happened, don't we, Tavia? Because it kind of cuts in halfway through the story. Yeah, it's. Uh, but there's. It, we have to remind people what happened because this portion, uh, Pinchas, it is slices the story in half which uh, the, the event that occurs there is is that uh, the, the daughters of Midian are now going to be able to do what Bilaam couldn't do. And that's the critical part of the last portion. That means, see, the big piece that we spoke of last week was that outsiders, the United Nations, the European Union, the White House, they couldn't harm Israel, but Israel can harm Israel. In fact, you know, it's, it's, and that's a point. I mean, there's a reason why. So last week's portion, it's not just a question of that last week's portion ends with women, uh, foreign women who brought idolatry and immorality to the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And then the Jewish people stumbled. It's, it's vital because clearly, and you pointed this out well, that the Torah is doing something outrageous here, that it's chopping the story in half. It's sought to, the Torah sought to juxtapose the outer forces which cannot succeed against our people versus the inner forces where we fail and we can only correct ourselves by ourselves, not by looking to other nations, please save me. And so on. And, and mm-hmm. we're finding here that, in fact, it is among the Jews, Pinchas, who's given a great blessing. He is the one who's able to uh, cut out the cancer that has grown within the people. I, I know some of this, you know, superficially may seem like a homily, but I, I ask every listener, ask yourself uh, the state of Israel. Think about the uh, decisions it's made in its the modern state of Israel has only been around for how long? Uh, a decision that's made that it is proud of, and decisions that is made that have been a disaster for the Jewish people. And I think if you made a column, a vertical column in the middle of a page, and said, just said, all right, let's look at the the, the smart things in retrospect. Uh, 
the things that worked out really well. And the disasters, you'll find that the the disasters came when Israel sought out what asked itself, what will the nation say, or listened to, mm. took pressure from the United States or from the European Union, and made decisions that were in its bad interest. So yes, the there were blandishments that came out of Washington. There were enticements that came out of the threats of the European Union and so on. But the question is, what did the Jews do? What did Israel do? And when Israel didn't listen to the world, and in 1981, when Iraq and Iran were at war, Israel didn't listen to the world. It it went and destroyed the Osirik reactor, and it was condemned by the world. And it was, you know, but it was a blessing. It was a blessing for everyone. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, in 1991, imagine what would have been the situation if, in fact, Saddam Hussein had, had uh, achieved nuclear power. Mm. This has mm. been so, it's important to understand, and one other point's critical. We're going to see here, as we, we've, we've, we've seen again and again, but almost, I don't think, as explicitly as in this portion, the Torah is completely out of chronological order. We're going to see that at the end of the portion, that the Torah is, there is, the Torah, there's only a, a symmetry of chronological order. The Torah is interested constantly of in, in, as, a, as an instruction manual for life, not a history book, although it uses history to instruct. This is, there's so much out of chronological order. We've seen that again and again, and I, I, I highlight that point. We're going to see it soon. Because we're going to see it in, in this oh, portion as well. Completely, mm. completely wha- because it's juxtaposing events one against the other. We have basically mm. four major events in this portion, and it, the Torah is not interested in chronological order. We, mm. we can fill in the gaps and move it around, and we can put that together. The Torah is not interested in that. This is not a history book. It's a book that has a lot of history in it, but the history is only used to teach us how to live our lives. Our instruction. And that's the key point. That's why the story is ch- is chopped in half. It was vital that we're able to see that the nations... Ca- Here, here's a ca- oh, just one thing, because I want to understand the Torah is alive. Let's go back to November 1947. I know I'm taking an extra moment on this, but it, this portion does begin with a shocking event where Pinchas goes and, you know, and he's blessed because he went and killed the the, the head well, he, of... He Shimon. took a javelin yeah. and he put it through uh, the, the Israelite man and the Midianite yeah, yeah, woman yeah. who was with him, and uh, and he killed them. And, and so it says in, in verse uh, nine, that the plague stopped because yeah, of what yeah. he did. So he, it came. The peace came from within the people of Israel. I'll say this: I, in 1947, uh, as the United Nations was preparing to vote on a partition plan, um, the Jewish leaders were begging the Arabs, "Please vote for it. Please support it." You know, and so on. As it turns out, the Arabs didn't comply. And as and, and they went to war with Israel in the War of Independence. If if we actually got our way and had the approval of the nations around us, do you know what the state of Israel would have looked like? We would have first of all had a half a million Arabs in the western part of Israel that were not originally there. They would have wiped out Israel in terms of just their sheer numbers. We would not have had the Galilee will be there in our tour. We would not have had the Negev. We wouldn't have had any of those parts. So it turned out that, you know, we we we, we go in and beg you, please recognize us, please accept us, and so on. It's a very big mistake. So in the last portion, we see that the problems, don't be afraid of the world, but be don't be afraid of Bullock. 
Be afraid of your own behavior. And here Pinchas is going to, God is going to bless Pinchas because he cuts out the cancer. And I'm, I'm taking this at the most obvious way. We're going to read this now. But he mm. does that. He brings the true peace to the Jewish people and is given yep. these blessings. That's what I want to ask you about, because what it says in verse 10, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Pinhas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, hmm. so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. Now, is that is that a covenant of peace? Uh, Jason, how do you read that? I mean, I, I wonder, if is that a covenant of peace just with Pinchas himself, or is that with his family forevermore? How, what, what goes through your mind? Well, I, I do read that it's um, with his family evermore, and we're going to find out later that Pinchas is, is, is blessed in a few ways, one of those ways being the, the kind of lineage of the high priest. <clears throat> but it's, this is an interesting use of the word covenant because in most other places in the in the Tanakh you find out that a covenant is a kind of an agreement between two sets of people that there's a, a statue of um, events or of or ordinances that is offered and then there's another group of people that accepts that and they're met in the middle and that is a covenant but in this it's read more like a promise. Binas doesn't have to do anything; he's kind of already done his part. And this is an an offering, if you like, that's come from the Creator to Pinhas because of his actions, mm-hmm. and it and it's rather than this being a covenant of peace, where um in the, in the way that he's going to have a peaceful life, it's more of a, a covenant of peace of of a serenity. I kind of prefer that word that God's relationship with Pinhas is going to be a serene, peaceful one. He's he's kind of on board. He's behind him, and uh, that's how I read this. So I don't think we should look at this as a as a contract, like the way we do with most um, times we read Covenant, and it's much more like a promise, and that God has promised his peace on Pinchas. I think that's that's what, how I read it anyway. So, that's interesting, Tobia. In my Jewish study Bible, it says a pact of friendship. So, what I'm wondering, I mean, it does go on to say, and it shall be to him and his descendants after mm. him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Now, we know that uh, uh, the, the priesthood went from Aaron to Eleazar and then obviously to Pinchas and, and through him uh, on through his family. Uh, but the covenant of peace, can you just elaborate? Well, uh, there, there are multiple levels here. First of all, uh, until this point, it wasn't clear that every single – what is coming into view here is that it, the priesthood – and especially the high priest, is doesn't just belong to Aaron and his surviving sons, but actually continues on for all generations. It could mm-hmm. never be changed. So that is conveyed over. I, I wanted to make a, a tiny point here that I think um, often confuses people who are coming from the church or in the church, coming out of the church. Mm-hmm. That's the idea of high priest. There is... Um, there is a problem that I encounter uh, frequently, and that is that because in Jewish language and in, among Christians, we're using the same words, whether it's Satan's God, but we actually mean something different. These words convey something differently that creates an enormous amount of confusion. And I wanted to just for a moment talk about the high priest because, the, you know, the term Christ was really a term unknown to the ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't, what does Christ mean? really meant nothing to them. But the term high priest meant everything to them because, in, as it turns out, 
the emperors of Rome, all of them were called the Pontifex Maximus. That was the that was the that was the title of mm. of Caesar Augustus of you know of Octavius of uh, Pontifex Maximus, which means high priest. They were considered gods. They were considered divine beings who were acting out of their own. That means they were gods. They had their own authority. Now, in fact, that's the reason why the Pope is called a pontiff. It's really a hmm. shortened version of Pontifex Maximus. You actually, because it was assumed by uh, Constantine uh, and Proconstantine. Right, right. So that's the, the key point is that we're using the word high priest. The reason, and he's given this blessing to me, but I love the way you read that, Jono, because I want to raise. No, I love the way you read it because, you know, you see what's very important here is the person who is the son of God. Another term that's used both in the Christian Bible and the Jewish Bible frequently, but we mean something completely different by that. Uh, son of God in the Christian Bible and in Greek thought meant that you were a god in some way. In, Jew, in Tanakh, it meant that you were doing performing the work of God, and that you have no autonomous, you know, uh, nothing came from you. And that's the same thing over here that we see. Pinchas clearly has brought about the end of a plague, turned away God's vengeance by, um, by cutting out the cancer. I don't mm-hmm. know of a, a better way to describe it must have been a shocking event to observe it. I've mm-hmm. thought about it since my childhood. But Pinchas is not... It, nothing is coming from him, but he's carrying out completely the will of God. He's carrying out, he's doing uh, the work of God. Nothing is coming from his thoughts. Nothing is coming from his own ambitions or his own creativity. And just one last thing to move on, because I don't want to take a lot of time on this. You see the Torah makes, going back to number six, um, that when God says to the children of Aaron, this is how you will speak to the Jews, this is how you will bless the Jewish people, it's the only prayer we're not allowed to say in any language but Hebrew. And and that's we, we can't, we're not permitted to say that in any other language. We can't add any word to it. It has to be precisely in that language because it's be clear, we're just conveying over God's blessings but nothing is emanating from us in a synagogue when the Kohanim, when the priests bless the congregants, the 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 chazan, the person who's leading, says each word and the and the priests repeat it lest any priest not know the words precisely. So that's what's happening here. Pinchas is completing, fulfilling the will of God, God's zeal, not his own personal anger or anything like that. Right. And we go on to find out that, uh, I mean, the, the uh, Torah then tells us the names of, uh, of his victims, so to speak, uh, and we find out that they were, in fact, people of note, people of um, uh, noble family or, or known, renowned family. Uh, so they weren't just anybody. Not and anybody, he, and, and and I'm sorry, I apologize, but just as right. a point, you look at, uh, you know, uh, the the woman who's involved here. Her father was a a priest. Her father was a. That means you have to understand the hatred that Midian had for the Jewish people. You know how, you know, is a king, they wanted to obviously Midian, they actually came up at the beginning of last week's portion, sort of ducked out of the way and got out of the plot. They didn't think the Billum thing was going to work. And their system really did bring about a horrendous situation, which mm-hmm. ultimately was resolved. But, you know, sometimes if you, if you, you know, when Saddam Hussein was sending suicide bombers, he wasn't sending his own family. 
He was sending everybody else. You go kill yourself. <laughs> you know, I would pay them $25,000 each. But here, the devotion <laughs> that the Midianites had to destroying Kleisel, the Jewish people, by bringing these women who were you know, attractive women with their, adult, with their idolatry and with mm. their immorality, here's a guy who doesn't go pick, up, pick out some peasant girl. He, sends his own, he sacrifices his own personal precious daughter to go to, to destroy the to bring destruction mm. to the Jewish people. That was, shows you the, how devoted the enemy is. I remember years ago as a child, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember the first time I ever found out that there was an Arab suicide bomber. It just was a long time ago and blew himself up. And I remember scratching my head, wow, they really believe this stuff because he's like killing himself. He's got to really be into this. Mm-hmm. You know, these, yeah. these were not, these were people who really were devoted to destroying the Jewish people and willing to sacrifice their own children their own, to, to bring that about. So they are instructed by God, he said to Moses, and tells them, harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby. That's the the name of the the daughter, Mm. the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed that day in, um, in the plague because of Peor. Uh, and so they're instructed to do so. Now, what follows in chapter 26 is a census. Uh, this is the second census. Yeah. And, and what and, – I, I sorry, I apologize. Well, no, just, I was just going to say that it's interesting to have a look at the numbers, and I do want to ah, do that. good, good, good. That's, uh, but before we get there, we also are offered a little extra piece of information. I know that we touched on this, but it is in, in verse 10 uh, where it talks about Korah and, uh, you know, when Korah contended against the Lord – uh, and his company, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah, and, the, and that company died when fire devoured 250 men, and uh, they became a sign. Nevertheless, and this is verse 11, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. There's just a little piece of information. Of course, we know that because uh, the sons of Korah write so many of the Psalms, um, but, but he's just uh, filling in the blanks, if you like. Now, the numbers... Tobia. There's some striking things about the the census that we have. This is really the second census. We've had a census prior. This is a much we have much more information here about individuals, families, uh, but we don't have a lot of growth. That's very striking. We have we don't have a lot of growth. So there, there are some that are. It's just interesting to have a look. Reuben decreases from about what is it forty six five forty six thousand five hundred to forty three thousand seven hundred thirty. Simeon, however, this is this is something that's really impressive. Well, um, maybe not impressive. It might not be the right word, but Simeon decreases from fifty nine thousand three hundred to twenty two thousand two hundred. Toby, and we know exactly what happened to them. That means that when we saw. As I, sh- I, I don't never remember what show I say what on, but Shimon is a Simon, the tribe's Shimon, mm-hmm. was a tribe that just got himself into enormous amount of trouble throughout history. And they were prominent in this past. And there's obviously, they are, when we saw 24,000 people wiped out, uh, is could be little doubt. We see here the leader of Shimon himself. If the leader is publicly fornicating, publicly fornicating, 
with with this uh, princess from Midian in front of the tent of the meeting. I mean, what an unimaginable act. Oh, we can only imagine what happens to his church. You know, see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's that would contribute to having nearly 60,000 to the shooting down Aquila. Just a point to history. When you go through Tanakh, Shimon is getting itself into trouble uh, constantly. And interestingly, Shimon and Levi, who both were kind of cursed, but Auror, it's a strange term for curse, it means really to give light, but to curse, Shimon really is messing up so much so, not only here, but again and again, that even though they have a plot of land in the land of Israel, they never really were permitted to... um, they no, de- and they, to have they, sovereignty, yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, Levi seems to uh, redeem himself with the golden calf incident, but Shimon seems to be, right. I don't know, never really recovers from... Because yeah, they each, see, anger could be a good thing or a bad thing, and that's what, what I want to show you here. And this is this is the uh, right. event in Shechem, right. where they... Right. Uh, you have Shimon yeah. and Levi, but you could take, it means we're told, see, the word horror, there are many different words for the word curse in Scripture. The word horror means curse, but it also means uh, to give light. That means you can use different ca- characteristics, which Shimon and Levi both have, but you can either use it, like fire, you can cook with it and warm with it, or you can destroy with it. We talked about salt, how it could be used to preserve and make food taste good, or it could be used to absolutely completely destroy it. Eating alone is bitter. What is so intense about Shimon and Levi is we actually, what comes into view is two tribes, and I don't think you can have two tribes that are more opposite. Shimon, the tribe of Simeon, or Simon, whatever, however the the Episcopalians use, I'm kidding. But the Shimon is constantly messing up with its, its, all of its energies and skills are used to self-destruct. We'll see it again and again. And Levi is using that zealousness, it, which it obviously displayed with, to, uh, with Dina to get back at Shem, but it's mm. using it positively. It's using positively. that right. And that's yep. the key point. You that's could take any quality you have, and then the question is, what are you going to do with it? You can use it for good. I'll say this, honestly, frankly. Mm. You know, when the anti-Semites, when the Ku Klux Klan, whatever they are, the neo-Nazis, mm. they say, you know, the Jews are controlled pornography, controlled communism. Control. You know, one could look. There was a rabbi who was a rabbi in, in England who said, Never forget, I forget what his name was. He said the Jews are just like everybody else, just mu- just much more so. Right. Jews have gifts, and they can either produce the greatest prophets or could produce the greatest, you know, the Bernie Madoffs and the most, the, some mm. so destructive. Jews mm. are given gifts, but they're clearly they're disproportionately represented in both in terms of philanthropy and how much you're giving. That's clear, but they also are represented in all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. What are you going to do with this gift that you have? And Jews are disproportionately represented, truthfully, in every area, in both good and not so good. Mm. So I don't think we have uh, such a massive uh, decrease. Uh, I mean, for example, Gad uh, decreases from uh, forty-five thousand six hundred fifty to forty thousand five hundred. Well, that's that's you know, there's about five thousand there. Judah does increase from seventy-four thousand six hundred to seventy-six thousand five hundred. It's not a huge increase, but it is an increase. So does Issachar from. 
54,400 to 64,300. There's almost 10,000 on the part of Issachar. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing also that's very striking, as long as we're looking at the genealogies, is the fact that we don't have the kind of outrageous birth uh, growth that we saw Mm. in the time the Jews were in Egypt. And I think I just led you on the answer. The, the Torah tells us that God, as Pharaoh was murdering the children of Israel, babies, Hashem made it that Jewish women were incredibly successful, producing mm-hmm. large families. Once, right, once that problem was solved and addressed, the blessing of, of having multiple children is no longer there any longer. And now mm-hmm. we, have a, we have a lot of many catastrophes that have gone on. This is a new generation. Just by the way, alert. We are now right before going into the land of Israel. We shot ahead mm-hmm. not long ago, like 38 years. And so th- that blessing of extreme explosive birth rate growth is no longer with the Jewish people as it was. So, so Zebulun, we have Zebulun increases uh, only a little bit uh, from 57,400 to 60,500. Manasseh increases from 32,200 to 52. Let me read that again. From 32,200 to 52,700. That's 20,500 uh, increase. Now, the... the let me read the next one. Ephraim decreased from 40,500 to 32,500. Now, you've already mentioned, uh, Tobia, the uh, blessings that Jacob gave to his children at the end of the book of Bereshit. Uh, one of the interesting things is that uh, when, when Jacob blesses Joseph's two sons, he says that uh, Ephraim is going to be the greater, mm. although Manasseh is the elder. But it's an interesting thing to note here that Manasseh increases in numbers yes. substantially. Yeah, to 52,700. And notice because of their growth that, in fact, they are listed out of order. Notice that uh, Manasseh is listed prior to Ephraim, which is a switch. Uh, the Torah is winking at you. There's a switch. So what is, what's, it, what's the wink about? That Just means, what's in no, that? What, There's got to be something no, in No, what happens is, is that Menasha has grown. The, the death of, we have, remember, we've been through an enormous series of sins and catastrophes that have struck the Jewish people, plagues, mm-hmm. all self-inflicted. Again, the outside wasn't able to harm us, but the in, from the inside and right. so on. And therefore, the growth in number is does reflect the behavior of a tribe because people were wiped out, whether it was the, the snakes that were coming and attacking the nation, mm-hmm. when when a part of the nation was running up after they were told to not enter the land, they ran up to fight and got killed and, and some mm-hmm. fled back. So the And we'll see this come up a little bit later on in this portion that, in fact, the land... How it was allotted and to which tribe was each portion given, you'll notice that one of the criteria, there are three criteria there, one of the criteria was according to their size. So that means the size of the people is indicative of the spiritual success of of the um, ah, of the nation. Yeah, so there's a connect. I mean, this yeah. is not, you know, we're not just doing here an accounting here, but remember, the Torah is. We have just been through crisis after crisis, mm, mm, and you know, mm. again, it's you know, eight thousand Jews in August of two thousand five. 
thrown out of of Gush Katif and 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 yep. full community. Who did that? You know, it wasn't the the uh, those who despise us in Sweden and they hate us. It's not the Netherlands and Oslo. They despise us. It's not the French, the the parasites in French, or whatever Parisians in the France. We did it to ourselves. We carried our own communities out and threw them out. I remember. I'll just say this because we're talking about Menasha. Mm. I was there. And among us in Gaza was what's called the Bnei Menashe. That mm-hmm. means you had Jews who were from Menashe who had been brought in from India to the land of Israel. They're, they're racially unique and distinct. You can obviously see they're Asian. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, you know, but they're, you could see that they're, they're actually, I remember them being thrown out of Gaza. Imagine, <laughs> these, I mean, I'm laughing because I don't want to cry on air, but you, mm-hmm. here you have a people from Menasha who've been in exile for 2,700 years, mm-hmm. only to be brought to the land of Israel. They settle in Gaza thrown out again. to get thrown out by their own it's brothers. Unbelievable. 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 And I remember we were all, I mean, I was there with, with Aaron Klein and so many other reports. I mean, I, I mm. built a lot of very deep friendships in the, uh, in the time that I was there. There was nothing as nothing as tragic. And I'll tell you just one fast story. I have a dear friend of mine, and mm. she was thrown out of one of the communities. And the is really terrible. I'm going to tell the story because it's really it's, it just highlights this point. Then we'll go on. Um, she was being thrown out. Of, of one of these communities at the time carried out and the woman they, they did try to have because the people in Gaza were very religious so there was a sensitivity to have female soldiers carry out females there sure. you know they, they try to maintain that too but, and as it turned out they had two girls who were Ethiopian women who were in the Israeli in the Israeli army who mm-hmm. were throwing out this this woman, a religious woman, they were carrying her out. And she turned to them and said, "Is was it for this reason that we brought you out of Ethiopia? Oh, that you wow. came to this land to throw us out of our land? Aye, aye, and they just put her down and they started to cry. I don't uh, want to, you know, it was, she's a, I'm not, her name is not important. Mm. But it was, I was in, sh- I was shaking when I saw that. And it, mm. it just so here you have these two young Israeli uh, soldiers, who, women, who are from Ethiopian, which mm. maybe they're from the tribe of Don. They had mm. been languishing in Ethiopia. Israel brings them in. They join the army, mm. only to mm. be commissioned to throw Jews out. And she turns to them and says, really? We brought you, you, you came, we brought you out? I don't remember the words. We're going back 10 years ago. She, yeah. You were brought out so that you could throw Jews out of their homes? Oh, oh, it was one of the, it was what, I mean, I, I, I still shake. It's, and, mm. and I, I don't know if it was right or wrong what to say. It really hit them so hard, these two girls. They started crying. And that was yeah. very unusual because the soldiers at the time were really conditioned to take a lot of verbal abuse. And you could almost mm. say anything to them, but they were trained, don't let anything get to you. And uh, mm. just so everyone knows, everyone gave away their arms. No one was armed. Uh, both the people, mm. every they were they throw eggs at each other. At the worst that was where, but that was really a thing. So here it was. Imagine such a picture that two Jewish women from Ethiopia pulling out a Jewish woman from California, yeah. all now living in Israel. It was Jews who did that to Jews. 
This is yeah, where right. the cancer comes from. And it has mm. to cut out. You may say, oh, it's a terrible thing. A Jew shouldn't have allowed such a thing. Look what's happening. The result, if you don't have someone to step in, you have mm. now in these exact same places where these synagogues once stood throughout Gush Katif are now rocket launching pads and in Hamas terror, mm. terror uh, trading camps where they're shooting at our sons and daughters. So you yeah. need someone to step in. I wasn't there at the time, but understand that you need to have a vision of a proper leader. And if you don't cut out the cancer and you don't address it, this is what happens. And, and that's Pinchas. Uh, and actually, we're going to be talking about another proper leader very, very soon. Before we get there, uh, I'm just going to quickly say, so Benjamin increases by 10,000 uh, or a little bit over. In fact, Dan increases from uh, 62,700 to 64,400. Asher increases from 41,500 to 53,400. That's impressive. Naftali decreases uh, by almost 10,000. The total decrease... Uh, is something like, I think it's 1,820. The numbers are almost similar to the original census, um, but there's a a decrease by 1,820 after all of that. I find that interesting. And so uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses, this is verse 52, uh, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give, as you were saying, um, Tobio, to a large tribe you shall give, a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each will be given its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them, but the land shall be divided by lot. Uh, it shall, uh, they shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers, according to the lot of their inheritance shall be divided between uh, the larger and the smaller. Then there's the, uh, the numbering of the Levites, and, uh, and they number them, and we have 23,000. And, uh, and they do the math there. Of course, it reminds us in verse 65, just before the end of chapter 26, for the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. That's the older generation. So there was not a man left of them except Caleb, son of Yephunah, and Joshua bin Nun, Joshua, son of Nun. Jason. Uh, I find it quite interesting. I wonder if had they had uh, a foreknowledge that their that land was going to be divided up into portion depending on the size of their tribes whether more couples would have got busy um to have more kids to increase their size but um the the concept of lot of uh divide of um yeah getting the conclusion through lots is is an interesting one to me i i have um yeah, you, know, you come from a you come from a tradition where um, I, I come from a tradition where things like uh, luck have a very um, it has a, has a very different connotation depending on where you come from. So um, I live in Ireland; it's a Catholic country, and it's not uncommon to get into a taxi here and there's rosary beads and there are pictures of different saints and there are little medals. They call them medals. They're like little silver discs with um, different saints and different holy figures on. And these things are supposed to bring luck, right? You might call it a blessing. You might call it something else, but essentially it's luck. They're, in, they're find, indulgences that, yeah, that bring right. luck, yeah. Yeah, so in, and in other sectors, you might see cars which are completely stripped of that because it's considered to be very pagan to, in, to induce that kind of luck, right? That's this mm-hmm. different. Yeah, it's very different. Um and something like casting lots seems to be very lucky, right? It's chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see lots coming up quite a lot, even even when we get to um, Yom Kippur and the, and the choice of the two goats. Yeah, that's yeah, that's course, done yeah. by lots. Um, and it's done by lot because that's the only way 
I, I think that without a direct message, without an audible message from the creator, you can be sure that his will is being done. So that's something that's completely out of human hands. Oh, because it's, it's because it's out of human hands, right? It's right. the throwing of the dice, right? Right, that's right. It. And you're you're letting you're letting it <clears throat> it come away. And whatever you know, you 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 have to assume that you know if the creator really wanted it to go one way, he'd make sure that that one, that happened that way. Um, sure. Using this um, system of law. Now you mentioned there that um, about the levy count. Um, that's quite interesting as well because two of the um, branches of the levy levy census disappear completely. I mean, talking mm. about ups and downs, but there mm. are two um, specific families that just disappear from the census. Whether that's mm. through um, them dying out or marrying out. I mean, imagine if you just had like three generations of, of only women. You know, your your uh, your name is gone. You're you're just finished. Mm-hmm. I find that kind of interesting. And there was one last thing. Um, um so the the um the daughters, so we're gonna get to them later. Yeah. Chapter um, twenty seven, yeah. Yeah. Um and then so they're meant they're, they're mentioned in thirty three, well, spoiler in case anyone's reading along, but we get to a, a really interesting part soon where there is a case where there are only daughters in a family. Mm. That the father died out in the wilderness, as you just said. And uh, we've got the case where there are these daughters and they take it upon themselves. And I think this is a great, we, you know, sometimes again, when we look at the, te- the text of the Tanakh, and especially in this instance, it seems that like men drive the decision making. And they, they, they're responsible for everything and the women kind of take a back seat, is what it seems like. But we've got an instance coming up soon where these women club together and they say, no, we have rights. We're no, you know, we're no less of people because we don't have um, brothers to take on this for us. And they, uh, they step up and they speak to Moses. And Moses speaks to the creator and uh, comes to a decision. And I think uh, that's a really uh, great um, benchmark for what women were really like in the text, really like in the Bible. Right. So, yeah. Move on. Yeah, and, and, and they do. They, st- they step up. This is, the, this is the daughters of Zelophehad. Zelophehad. And uh, it says in uh, 27 verse 2, they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and the, and the leaders of all the congregation by the door of the way of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in the company with Korah, but he died in his own sin and he had no sons. Now, first of all, Tobia, he died in his own sin. What, what are they saying there? That means that this is very interesting. So what they're saying is, look, he died because of something he did personally, but he was not a part of the revolt. I mean, okay. as it was pointed out, people died for 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 reasons of sinning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, um, what's his name? The other guy in the show, uh, I'm Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I took a tramadol. I'm joking. You see what happens when you take a day off, Jason. You take a day off, and then we forget your name. Even You're only as good as your last recording. <laughs> no, so there was no. So there was you know, like he mentioned, there was Shimmy and Uzio. The families of Shimmy and Uzio, which are Levites, mm-hmm. they're not mentioned. This is very delicate over here. These five beautiful daughters, these 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 daughters of one man who had no sons. So what they're saying is he wasn't part of a of any kind of revolt, any kind of rebellion. He died because God had some sort of in Hebrew cheshbon. God had some sort of to deal with his own personal sins, but it wasn't a national sin of rebellion. So that's the okay. language that's used here. But there is also, I just, just, this is a point highlighted by the sages. 
the the language they use makes it a little bit difficult for Moses to adjudicate. And I just wanted to highlight this point. Moses, because one may wonder, like, why didn't Moses just know the law? Or why didn't Moses sort of remove himself and go to God? Part of it was that they, you see, normally in a Jewish court, the judges can't be related to the adjudicators, and they can't have any interest. And if they do, then they would have to remove themselves from adjudicating a case. You notice that they say to Moses, Moses, I just want you to know that our father was not involved in rebelling against you. Right. And that that does contribute in the way that Moses doesn't completely uh, trust himself in adjudicating this as well. Because that naturally for any person would, go, would engender within Moses an affection for them to uh, to show to some right. sort of favor. So there is in that where Moses is sort of with uh, recusing himself to some degree here because the, the point that's emphasized is we weren't part of the rebellion against you. That would obviously be able to say, oh, these are good kids. These were not my enemies. But incidentally, that raises another question though, doesn't it, Tobia? If he had died uh, in the Korah Rebellion as one of those 250 who died, does that still relinquish his... Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. It no. was they. That means this is vestigial. It means whenever we find yeah. a text, that so you have to always ask, like, what is it doing there? It's very clear. I mean, this is a point. It's very clear that Isaiah preached more than 66 chapters in his life. I mean, mm-hmm. Isaiah lived for a very long time, and his prophetic care was enormous. If there's a word in the text that is extra, that the text seems to superficially read just as well without it, it's mm-hmm. there for a reason. They were saying to Moshe what is natural for any litigant. They're putting forth a case. This, in their case, they slip in the words, our family was faithful to you. Moses, remember, is very hurt by this event because Moses, dialing back to Exodus 3, Moses was a reluctant prophet. He didn't want to lead anybody. So the, mm. the issue of Korach, we'd have to go back a couple of shows, really hurt Moses very deeply because he didn't even want to be there. Mm. He didn't want to lead anybody. He argued oh, with God for six days. I don't want it. I don't yeah. want it. So this, in some way, Moses is always uh, operating with such uh, judicial care. This is so mm-hmm. important. He was such a great leader. We're going to see later on the term having a shepherd over your sheep. Mm, a shepherd, yes. We're going to see that in a moment. But that's important because the great shepherd, Ezekiel 34, the, the, the wicked shepherd, Zechariah 10, 11, Zachariah, 13, yeah. and so on. Those are the bad shepherds. But a mm. good shepherd, is has what is his flock going to give him? A f- shepherd is only there to protect the flock. You see, mm. so is Moses only wanted to take care of his people. Mm. He mm. this extra word of them saying, reminding him, my dad was not a part of the rebellion, is vestigial. It's extra. This contributes to Moses being extremely careful here to judge this case properly, to take it before Fair God, enough. because yep. oh, I, I'm afraid that 
my connection to this. They have now introduced something that's really personal, that it should have nothing to do with the objective. They obviously brought case. it up to seek favor, at least in, in their well, mind. They've thrown in that little piece whatever of information. It was, in the hope it of, yes, that means I don't think these girls were very holy women. I mean, to have a whole, mm. it's not just here, this is going to come up later. And remember, my mm. friends. The Benoist Slavchad is going to be talked about further in chapter 36. These are very holy women. They mm. naturally, standing in front of Moses, if I was standing in front of Moses, I'd be shaken. And I would mm. certainly be talking about what a special family I have. And, of course, he's reminding Moses, look at what they're saying. I, I have to do this because if I didn't, you really wouldn't get it. You have to look at what they want. They're really not after real estate here. It's all about legacy and the legacy of their father. The name of their father. Right. Yeah. This is very important in the Torah. It means who, whose name are you after? Are you interested in making a name for yourself or are you interested in making a name for somebody else? I'd like to remind each and every listener, Moses is in the center of all these stories, but his kids are never coming up as getting all these blessings. He's mm. taking care of Joshua. He's not a relative. He's mm. ta- you know, bestowing on, on Pinchas, his nephew, mm. his great-nephew, not his mm. kids. Like, would Moses, is it Moses going, what about my kids? Like, right? You never get that, do you? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. We're dealing with people on a very high level. Mm. With your permission, a one-minute point about this, if I may. Please. This is Please. this is so big. Okay, there's something very striking. I'm going back to Genesis for a second. I'm only going to take sixty seconds on this, but it's there's something very striking. If you're not an Orthodox Jew, which means if you don't believe in the traditions of Jewish people, then you got a very big problem with what exactly did Abraham do. When we get to Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham is blessed and in you all blessings will come and in you will be count be the father. If you go back and go, what exactly did Abraham do? And look at Genesis 11 where we're first introduced to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Actually, if on the plate there's nothing that he did. That's the same chapter as the chapter of the Tower of Babel. And it, 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 not only that, the people who created the tower, what exactly to do so terrible? Well, the text says they really wanted to make a legacy for themselves. They wanted to mm. make a, their own name. name. Yeah. Now, if you look in the Talmud, you look at our sources, you see that Abraham jumped into the furnace of Nimrod. You see many things about Abraham did that he got to that point. But in the plain text, it's sort of what? I mean, if I was writing Genesis 11, I'll just tell you that if I were God, I would have written Genesis 11 very differently, and I certainly would have put in a lot more stuff to explain why Abraham was so holy. So we get to Genesis 12, it would all make sense. It isn't there. The key point of what Abraham does is he actually continues the, the, the legacy, not of his own legacy, but the, the legacy, he and his brother, continue the legacy of their dead brother, Haran. And that's the key point. Throughout these events, the great people are not trying to make names for themselves. These girls are not after a real estate deal, but they're mm. after, should my father, This is that's what they're saying. That's mm. why. Should the name of our father be removed uh, from among his family because he had no son? That's the key. So that just, Give us possession yeah, among our father's brothers. All I want to do, my brothers and sisters, is just sort of wet your lips a little bit. This is obviously a much bigger topic than I'm mm. superficial. The key is, they're really after I need, we want to take care of our father's legacy. He did not deserve to be di- to die, and for him to have no memory or legacy just because 
by whatever he just didn't have sons. He only Which had is really daughters. representative of the commandments of one of your mother and father. Jason. Yeah, and I can't help thinking that the inclusion of Cora in this is kind of a well look at Cora. He was a really terrible person for a really long time. And look at what he caused in the group. And his sons get to carry on. His sons get to keep the name. His sons oh, get well, to have true, land. Yeah. And then look at us. We're not responsible. We didn't do what our father did. He died. He didn't cause half as much damage. And we're left mm. out in the cold. How does that seem fair? And I think uh, the inclusion of Cora was kind of the, the polar opposite to show, you know, fair's fair, fair in this instance, I think. To show, really, to show what? Yeah. To show that, that, just explain that. Well, that's very interesting that what you're uh, raising. To, to, to show that... Because, um, I mean, they're, go- they're going to Moses and they're saying, okay, look, um, as it stands, we're not going to get any land. But look at those um, Korites over there. They're yeah, because in, in 26, 26 chapter 11, as I, as I mentioned, nevertheless, the children of Korah right. did not die. Very Therefore, good. there Beautiful. they are to inherit. Right. Yeah, they got to inherit the land, which um, would their father have, I mean, did their father deserve that land? Um, right. Did his family deserve that land? They um, are getting, they're getting representation that carries on the name of a person who openly stood up, not just against um, Moses, but against the creator who wanted more than he had. He was prideful, he's arrogant, and he stood up, and his sons get to carry that name forward. They don't get that privilege. And um, I think that the inclusion of Korah in the argument was to highlight that fact, that there are worse people to remember than the name of their father, and that they are entitled to the same... To the same lineage and heritage, and to the, to the to give the same um, honor to their father's name as, as the Korites did to theirs. So it's, it's probably both of those, I would say. So it, it continues in verse five. Moses brought uh, their case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "The daughters of Zelophehad, Zelophehad, yes. the daughters of Zelophehad, speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers, and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them." And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. Uh, and if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the, the, the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. Uh, it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, that means, if, if I understand this correctly, Tobio, they can only, I mean, now, if I remember correctly, he is from the family of Manasseh, right. the tribe of Manasseh. That means that uh, the daughters cannot marry outside of the tribe. Is that correct? If they want to, man, this is very critical because they. This is actually a bomb uh, that just went off. Uh, the church has to always have dealt. So there's a issue of Christian Jewish polemics here. The church has a problem. That is when when Matthew and Luke will introduce the notion that Jesus was born of a virgin. Mm. So when they introduce that, they. Although Christians get a kick out of it, they don't realize that it sabotages uh, the the completely. That means how do you from that? Because we've been learning here constantly that it's it is the father's house that conveys over tribe identity. Not Mm -hmm. mothers. Nothing could be uh, nothing could be less ambiguous than this. So the problem is that when Christianity will adopt the notion that will be expressed in Matthew and Luke, that Jesus was born a virgin, he then does not have a human father from the tribe of Judah. And in fact, the genealogies that we find both in 
in, in Matthew and Luke are completely irrelevant because they're the genealogy mm. of Joseph, who Matthew and Luke are saying are not really. I think I have a theory, and I make I just make a two sentence point to this in my book that I think that this was roaming around uh, during the time of Paul when Paul says, "Don't bother with genealogies." Oh, really. the endless genealogies. Yeah, we don't need to go I, on about the end. Don't worry about yeah, that. Yeah, I, it, my, my sense is that. Scholars argue of it. Now, the key is, so Christians now have to deal with the problem that, you know, it's interesting, when I started reaching out to Jews in the church, so the Jews were on the defense, and the missionaries were, it's really turned around when now Christians, from what I could see anecdotally, they're really trying to defend themselves against mm. the because what's happened is there have been so many Jews who have now taken up the point of responding to the church and so mm. many ex-Christians that the Christians are now trying to explain away the problems. And the information age where everything's available. Right. Now everybody has the access. I put up a video or Rabbi Skoback, anybody puts it up or you put up, a, it's accessible to thousands of people around the world. So how do the, the how do so what they try to do is how do they deal with the problem that Jesus didn't have a human Jewish father from from the tribe of Judah to trace his lineage back and they use the Benoi Salavchad the daughters Salavchad saying look the daughters Salavchad these were the the genealogy can be passed out through a female if there is no male because you see they use this as a proof and they'll point right here to this chapter they'll say here you see the daughters of Salavchad they were were, um, they, they they didn't have brothers, so they were able to convey and receive the inheritance. You see that inheritance, the tribal identity can be passed on through a female when there is no male. This is a so you answer the part, and that is you have to go a little bit later on. But this is very clear: in order for them to retain the inheritance, and therefore. Um, and therefore preserve their father's memory is they couldn't marry a boy from another tribe. These were single girls. They had right. to marry someone from their own tribe and thus only in that case see chapter 36. So right. therefore, the text doesn't say that they can marry somebody, that they can marry a Puerto Rican. I'm kidding. But they can marry <laughs> to the Puerto Rican people. I'm kidding. But I'm saying... You know, they can marry someone from Zavulin, or they can marry... No, they can't. They, they can't. They have the, to, right. the land has to remain within they, that tribe. There's no response. In fact, that proves the opposite. You know, what always happens in the church is that they make a claim, they try to respond. The response is that the children of Slavcha, these four, five beautiful women, I say beautiful mm. in that they brought Torah to the Jewish people, these... Mm five girls had to marry within the tribe. If you could convey identity through female line as the missionaries you know, scream from the rooftops, then why would they have to marry a boy from their own tribe? So mm. that proves the whole point. Anyways, great. I think I, I think I handled that very well. That's good. Thank <laughs> you, Jason. <laughs> Jason, we did a uh, a program uh, entitled "A Prophet Greater Than Moses?" That's Question right. mark. Yeah. Do you remember that? Mm. And uh, and the next um, and that was based, of, of course, on uh, Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, verse fifteen, and on, mm-hmm. where it talks about it says, uh, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all that I uh, all you." desire for them, and so on and so forth. And uh, what we read here in our Torah portion, Numbers chapter 27 from verse 12 on, now the Lord said to Moses, 
Mm. Uh, now, it's kind of sad. It says, go up uh, into Mount Avorim, Hazer, which Avorim. is not the typical name of this mountain. This is interesting. Oh, really? The word, Right. This is a, a unique name, but we use the word of passing on before in the, when the talking with the women. So now the legacy is passing on, but it's not in the family. And oh. therefore, Mount Avorim, Aver, means to pass on. And that's what's happening. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So that they use these. Ah. Oh, there's very delicious language here. Didn't this, know that. Incidentally, as obviously every, go ahead, but every listen knows this does not happen here. This I is think. like you, I just want to cry, but I'm not going to. So this is the Torah Hashem, blessed be his holy name, is taking an event. Even though it reads it's like it's happening right there, this is happening at the end. But mm-hmm. he's, bringing, he's bringing it here to juxtapose. When we talked about Moses, you know, he's in the middle of this. He's watching all these great people, his great nephew, Pinchas mm-hmm. being elevated, giving the covenant mm-hmm. of peace. And Moses going, what might, some parents might go, what about my boys? What about my mm-hmm. kids, right? Okay. And then he's, he's, he's seeing these women making sure that their yes. father's memory would be, and he, you know, a lesser person would have me. Now, Moses is going to tell us who, and I, who the prophet is, as you said beautifully, yes. this person who is going to be anointed, and that's why it's juxtaposed there. It's so, because when the Torah is out of order, naturally, the Torah is doing something very, um, it means it's uh, very violent. It's highlighting. It's, it, it is, yes. The Torah is saying, By association. We're, yes, we're taking an event, this is the end of Moses' life, we're going to bring it here, in here. We're going to have this later on Deuteronomy, to Brilliant. put it against it, to see it, to contrast, to highlight—that's what's happening here. So it's very powerful. But he's gonna—he's going to anoint someone else. He's going to put, give smicha, which is laying the hand on someone that's not mm. his child, and that's—that's mm. that's what's happening here. It's very beautiful. No, I appreciate that. I didn't see that connection, and uh, so he goes up on the mountain. And, and says, you'll see the land that I've given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, your brother was Aaron, uh, was gathered, as we read earlier on, uh, taken up to the mountain. Uh, the clothes were taken off him and put on Eleazar. Uh, but he got to see his son uh, as the high priest. And then he was uh, uh, taken. Uh, Moses is going up. And it says, for in the wilderness of Zin, uh, and he reminds him, during oh, the yeah. strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command moment to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah uh, at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of all spirits, well, that's a uh, very, the God of the spirits uh, of all flesh. That's a unique yeah. name. We, we've seen that a number of times. It means the God who, who God has so many names, but, mm. uh, but the name here is chosen as the God who sees through which is the God who sees into everything, who sees the spirit of every person, knows every thought. That's what's being conveyed here. Then Moses says, let, let the Lord, the, the God of all the, the, the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may, be, may not be like a sheep which has no shepherd, Toby. Yeah, uh, a little point, my holy brothers and sisters, um, two points. 
uh, as it turns out, we, we learn from here, of course, that a great leader is one that's with his people. And it's not like in many countries where the general goes and gives out a command and the, the officers give out a command, their boys go in and put themselves in harm's way. This uh, approach to battle or to is used in the Israeli Defense Force this way, Acharai, which means come after me. This is how every IDF officer is... If you ask, I, what is the principle that when you're leading your men is after me? I go into the officers go into battle with their boys and lead them and go in the front. You can see the pictures of it when they go into Gaza. The come after me. One point I want to, I think people miss, but it's very striking to me. That is when King David in his youth was this very spectacular person who, who's just wonderful in every way, in every dimension. We're going, wow, David's so beautiful, such a beautiful person. Of course, everyone was crazy about him. You notice that after his teacher, Shmuel Hanovi, Samuel, the prophet, passed away, David begins to decline in, in his behavior in, on a number of ways. It's very shocking to people reading Samuel. Go, what, what happened to him? It is interesting that when David is about to commit the sin with Bathsheba, the very horrible event that occurs, his there was a war going on, and most people don't notice that. But in fact, the Jews were at war with Ammon. It was, there was a national event going on. There was a war. It was in the spring time, which is a time going to war. And, it, and the prophet says that David was on his rooftop back in Jerusalem. That is right away, and that's when he sees Bathsheba from a distance. But that is a point here where you see David is getting into trouble. What mm. are you doing back in when your boys are at the front fighting? So it's interesting that we can see that the great leaders are there like Josiah, who's fighting alone with his people mm. against Egypt, and he's, he's, he dies in battle. Uh, he's, he's killed by an archer. But you see, I just the smell, when things are going bad as the king is hanging back, when General Schwarzkopf is in a bunker a thousand feet in Saudi Arabia under the ground and nothing happens there while his boys are fighting in the coalition forces. So it means a true leader, an officer in the Israeli Defense Force, this is how they're trained. You right. come after me. They go first. They're the ones, and the commanders, when the tank forces, Sanchanim or whatever, the, the commander goes in in front of the boys and mm. follow me. Come and after this is me. The, yes, this is the, this is the thing that is uh, the concern. As soon as Moses finds out, okay, this is the end for me, and the first thing that concerns him is right. who is going to be like this for the people. Right. That's the first thing that comes for, to his mind, and that speaks well, of course, for right. for Moses. And then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, uh, "Oh well." Then, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight, and you shall give of your authority to him, and all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before him uh, the who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim mm. Jason I just want to run with that so we had um, an instance there where um, God says alright you're going to go up on the mountain and once you've gone up there you're going to see the land that your people are going to go into and then I'm going to um, you know, it's going to be the end, just like it happened to Aaron. So he he goes up and onto the mountain, and he's thinking to himself, "Well, when Aaron went up, he got to see who his successor was." That's what I think. And so um, that was obviously going to happen here. So um, okay, yeah. there's a conversation with um, we've got about that. And now you mentioned the the program we did before um, 
Yeah, profit right. greater than, than Moses, question mark. Yeah. yeah, question mark. Now, we did that because there is a common understanding and a common use of that passage in Deuteronomy that that means Jesus, that Jesus is his prophet that is um, greater than Moses. But this only happened one time. There's not like 16 instances where Moses goes up on a mountain and then they allocate a new leader for Israel. Mm. It just happened the one time. And in this instance, unlike the Deuteronomy reference, we get to see what happens after that is uttered. We get to see that it didn't end there. It's not some random uh, question mark about who fulfilled that role. We get to see who fulfilled that role. That Moses is told to go down. Moses is told that Joshua is going to take over. Moses is told how that's going to happen. And at that point... No longer does God speak directly to the leader of Israel. God starts speaking to Joshua through Eleazar via the Uman and the Thuman. And mm-hmm. th- the conversation with that God had with Moses has changed now with Joshua. So I just wanted to point out quickly that it's not a, a random question mark about who is now going to lead and who this person was who was going to who was going to come and speak to the people. It's quite clearly in the story, in the narrative, just because it doesn't mention it in one book doesn't mean it's not often answered in another. And in this instance, it's clearly Joshua. Um, now, I know that there are going to be people going, yeah, well, his name is really Yehoshua, and, you know, he's a mirror. But that whole mirror business is, you know, a foreshadowing. doesn't matter. In the Torah, in the text, it was Joshua and um I, I just wanted to lay it to rest because there are still people, I still get the arguments every week that... Um, well, who was the prophet one, like Moses? Uh, Joshua was. Joshua uh, laid stones. Um, the rivers stopped for him. He brought down towns. He he led armies with, with the ark. He did lots of the things, mirror images of what Moses did. He was a carbon copy in some instances, mm. like Moses. Mm. And as we get, like, we're going to find when we get to um, the end of Moses' life, Moses was unique in his role in how he, con- how he spoke to God and what he did. And as a as a prophet and a leader, he was unique. No one else has ever measured up. And I just wanted to make sure that was clear before we moved on. Yeah, I I want to echo that. I've never said this before, but why not now? I you know over the years, of course, I've encountered this. Who is the prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy eighteen? And I always felt like just look at the Bible. <laughs> like you couldn't have something more like a. I, mean, I think it's it's very very clear. It's a funny thing. I mean, Joshua chapter one verse sixteen. Yeah, there you I'll are. just quickly read it. It says, "So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do, and whatever you send, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you, as He was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you." command him he shall be put to death only be strong and of good courage right. and Tobia. this really speaks to me because you know over the years i i i've really come to know so many christians and i really like them a lot and that's why i i, I spend so much time with them because i expect so much from them and the fact that you can have as jason said such I, I just can't personally can't imagine texts that are more graphic, except for the oneness of God. It's so clearly laid out. 
how do really bright young men and women who grew up in churches, Baptist churches, or whatever, who are reading a little bit of Bible, how do they possibly trip up on this? Or have They really are clueless. When I say, Joshua, they look at me, and then when I have them read the text inside, they really are, they, they really have nothing to say, in my experience. It is all mm-hmm. anecdotal. Which tells, which screams at me how much so what Christians, what's happening to these bright, good, care. these are not some leftist, self-hating, crazy people, good people, bright people mm. that are in the church. What they really have done is they have re- learned about Jesus first. That's their foundation. It's Christian mm. Bible. This comes much later on in their studies as maybe as an adult or never. And that's, how, that's the only way. It means I have to ask myself, how do these people, who I really respect and are very thoughtful in so many ways, how do they trip up on this one? It's like, mm. what? Are, I mean, what could, you just read Joshua one sixteen. What could be more clear? Moses laying the hands of the Spirit of him. I mean... And they're really asking, when they ask, they're genuinely asking, who is Deuteronomy 18 speaking about? They're not, like, coming up with some trick here, like, pick a card, a three-card Monty. They really mean it, which means that they have been stripped of such plain graphic text in their education, mm. that, and that's why they're filling pews in a church rather than, uh, rather than uh, uh, seats in a synagogue. That's mm. the reason, because you can't possibly, no, no person who read the Torah first and then was introduced to Christian teachers would ever find that to be befuddling. No, no, it's very straightforward. I we just find have one more thing I want to do Jason. quick, just super quick. Um, it's really lovely, and it's worth mentioning because a few um, commentators will have mentioned it. I, I look at it a kind of slightly different way. Um, it's just my opinion. So in verse 18, the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself Joshua, the son of Nun, the man of a man of spirit. You should lay your hand upon him. And uh, when we get way down to the bottom, it says that Moses actually laid both hands on him. And there are lots of different... Um, um, expansions on this that you're going to find um, that there was a bigger outpouring of the spirit Moses wanted to you know it was, but I'm reminded constantly when I read about people laying their hands on people of the blessings of the patriarchs and how all too often that didn't quite work out the way that the father wanted or the or the, the way the son expected right so there was a bit of switcheroo and the hands went to different people and uh, I get the impression that Moses when he did this um, yeah, sure. He wanted to put both hands on because he wanted to maybe double the blessing or whatever. But I get the impression that Moses, as an older man, was making absolutely sure <laughs> that no mistakes mm. could be made. And yeah. he grabbed Moses, um, Joshua, with both hands just to make mm. sure. Um, and I think that it's a beautiful thing for me that he's get, he gets instructed to do one thing with one hand. Um, but he, he grabs the opportunity and makes sure with both hands. I, th- I think mm. that's lovely. Brilliant. The uh, the following two chapters deal with the offerings. There's the daily offering, the Shabbat offering, monthly offerings, offerings of Pesach. There's offerings at the uh, the Feast of Weeks, the, uh, the offering of uh, Yom Teruah, uh, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. And it, there's there's a lot there. We're running out of time. Tavia, is there anything you want to uh, wow, highlight? Wow, 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 wow. I know, I'm just throwing wow, two wow, chapters wow, at you. Wow, wow. <laughs> there's all kinds of yummy, yummy things here. So... You have, wow, how did you do that to me? <laughs> so you have here the introduction of the Musaf, an extra, which is an, we say 
if people who go to synagogue and pray every Shabbat know all these mm-hmm. prayers because these are the Shabbos prayers of Yom Shabbos Nekrosim Kevosim B'nei Shulam Timimim. This we say this in our synagogue in the in our prayers every single Shabbat. There's an additional prayer we have on the holidays. We have the Sukkot is very special. Sukkot mm-hmm. is really a wedding. It's a time of completion. We've gone through Rosh Hashanah. Uh, where we coronate God, it's Yom Hadin, Day of Judgment, Day of Blowing the Shofar. Sukkot is the coronation, is the wedding, is a time of great rejoicing. It's a time when the Jewish people bring seventy bulls for the na- for the Gentile for the nations of the world. It's a receding number because of thirteen on the first day, twelve, eleven, so on, because the mm. power of the nations of the world recede. The Jewish people are given ninety eight lambs are brought on behalf of the Jewish people uh, because they're to in a sense protect them to elevate them there are 98 curses in Deuteronomy 28 against the children of Israel if they should turn against God Deuteronomy 28 has a parallel text in Leviticus 26 but it's much more elaborate Deuteronomy 28 so th- this is very very just so much here it's full, uh, pregnant with meaning and so on and these are the prayers that we say because as we're told in Hosea Hosea chapter 14 right in the beginning he says you know Hosea is predominantly his mandate is to the northern kingdom and he says to them take with you words return to the Lord and let us render for bulls the offering of our Mm -hmm. lips Uh, the Talmud says if the I'm just so many thoughts because I didn't expect two chapters to be slammed at me. But it's okay. <laughs> I could do it even on Tramadol. Uh, the Gemara <laughs> says, the Talmud says that if the nations would only understand the benefit of what the Jews are doing for them, they would bring blessings to them and would bring these offerings because there are 70 nations. Say, so what do you mean? There's 191 countries in the UN. Well, you know, uh, North Korea and South Korea, it's an artificial boundaries. But there are 70, classically, 70 nations of the world, just like Gagumagog, its gematria, its numerical value is 70. Uh, if the nations would only know that we're doing all this for them, they would come and protect the Jews. It says that they would pre- surround Jerusalem just to protect the Jewish people. Yeah. They would rejoice with us. There's so much going on here. It's really delicious. Jason, was there anything you wanted to highlight in these chapters? Nope. Thanks very much. It's been a great week. See you all. <laughs> there it is. So it says in, uh, before we get out of uh, chapter 29, just at the end in verse 39, it says, uh, These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feast beside your vow offerings and your free will offerings as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So Moses told the children of Israel everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. And our Torah portion ends with the first verse of chapter 30. It says, Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, and it ends there. Uh, Just one thing, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Always, whenever you have all these offerings going on, and obviously Mm. we're discussing the presence of millions of Jews in in Jerusalem going on the Temple Mount, those will be joining us on the tour. Mm. You're going to see it, my friends. It's big. It's bigger than if you've never been there, go prepare yourself. But one of the things, why is it the sin offerings all intermingled with this? As it turns out, when you have millions of people or a million, whatever the numbers are throughout history, people are going to make mistakes. And this error even will come up in the Messianic Age as we see in Ezekiel. Mm. And that is that people who are uh, in a state of impurity, 
unknowingly. They just didn't realize it. They didn't. The woman didn't realize that she was instead of impure. Sometimes they didn't know they walked through a cemetery. Whatever it is, a person may will not realize it and could be more careful. So that's where the sin offering is coming up. That's why the sin offering, the same chatos, is prominent in the beginning of. In on Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16, because this this specific sin of of bringing impurity or being in a state of impurity in the te- on the temple or bring the sacrifice, which demanded a a st- which was a sterile environment, was something that the best of people could make a mistake on, and therefore there are these sin offerings there to be as in a, a wake-up call that mm. you should be more careful and be but these are not sins of rebellion that's what's critical that's the point i wanted to highlight here excellent thank you my friend thank you jason of spiritualbabies.net thank you my friend for coming back on and tovia now i just have to tell everyone but tovia mentioned tramadol twice in this program what's that about i, I, I the last time i had i didn't realize this was so strong i woke up with a toothache i'm on my way to Thank God, this is like a great dentist in, in Jakarta. If any of you need a good dentist, it's worth flying from Miami. <laughs> but anyway, I was in such pain. I probably should have tried Advil first, but I woke up with so much pain today that I I have this jar from, I don't even know the date on this thing. I took one <laughs> pill. It's only 50 milligrams. I mean, I uh, look at the date, 70913. That's when it was prescribed to me. It's probably expired. I took one 50 <laughs> milligram, but I, you know, I never take this you, kind of stuff. It like you ooh, hit me in the that. head. But the the <laughs> toothache, like what toothache? I don't even know what to tell the dentist now. So Toby's got. I just want I want listeners to know that he's got a. Uh, he woke up with a horrible toothache, but he waited at the entire day. It's now in the evening. Now it's approaching evening now in Indonesia, and he waited the whole day okay. just so he could record you could, Torah pills. You could send your a, check to PO Box seven eighty nine. I'm kidding. I love you guys. <laughs> I waited a whole day to so, go to my dentist for you guys, and now I'm going to run off. And now you're going to run off. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope all goes well, my friend. But, uh, but this, yeah, what do no. you do when a painkiller is so effective? These can ask me, where does it hurt you? I say, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> that's the problem. I'm afraid I'll tell them the rogue side of my mouth will start drilling in the rogue segment. I don't even know what the heck went on. This travel stuff. I don't know who came up with these. Well, whatever it is, it's, I don't even remember where it hurt. So I have thank to you. now recall. Anyways, it's great thank having for, me on. It's great having you on, and thank you for being so dedicated. Really do appreciate that. So there it is, uh, dear listeners, uh, next week, Matot. And until then, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom. (laughs) Okay, there we are, my friends. I'm dedicated, baby. I need a raise. When this contract (laughs) comes around for renewal, that's it. Who's dedicated like this? Hey, dear listeners, Jono here reminding you that we are returning to Israel with Rabbi Tovia Singer, and we want you to come with us this November. Go to truthtoyou.org and click on the Tanakh Tour of Israel and join us as we walk where judges, kings, priests, and prophets made history in the Holy Land. Seats are limited, so don't delay the Tanakh Tour of Israel this November on truthtoyou.org.